Hey, what's up, guys, and welcome to episode 97 of Talk 4, the quickfire podcast where we ask four great questions to unique and interesting people. Behind the mic today is your host, Louis Scoopian, for the second time. That's me, and let me introduce our special guest for today. Rich Graham is going to be answering our questions today. Rich, welcome aboard the Talk 4 podcast, man. Just please say hi to the fine people listening and just kind of give us the 30 to 60 second rundown of just who you are and what do you get up to, and the, then we're going to shoot some good questions your way man awesome louie thanks for having me i appreciate it uh my name is rich graham a veteran navy seal and uh now i'm a firearms and tactical instructor run a couple nonprofits, and um yeah just uh just helping people with uh self-defense fitness and men mentality Brilliant stuff. Well, it looks like you, you've been keeping busy and uh, we all know the, the Navy series to be some seriously bad mofos and uh, had a couple on in the past. Maybe you know some of them. I had Eddie Penny on in the past and uh, Mark Devine. I know it's probably a pretty small world awesome. in, in, uh, in your stuff. So do you know those lads? Uh, I know of both of them. I know Mark Devine from, uh, from his fitness programs and I know Eddie Penny just through uh, social media. I haven't got a chance to meet him yet personally, though. Cool stuff. Well, uh, like I said, it's a strong community of big badasses you got there. So um, anyway, man, um, right. What I like to do with the show to kick it off really is just kind of get into a bit of backstory. So um, to start us off, uh, run me through your military career and getting into the military and, you know, why you wanted to become a SEAL and the selection, a little bit of the, the Hell Week trivia, if you can, please. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot and you could talk a lot on uh, breaking that down into chunks, but uh, essentially, I had some scholarships in high school. I was I was being groomed to be an architect or an engineer. My dad was an architect, and um, I just got to the end of my stretch of high school and I uh, was getting ready to sign a scholarship for architecture, which is an eight-year program, five in university, and then another three to get your licensing. And um, I was just like, I, I don't, I, I can't go sit at a desk. Like I'm not ready to to do that i i, I want to do something more i was really big into um sports and tie boxing um and i just wanted something that was more of an adventure i wanted a challenge and uh i had heard about the seal teams this is pre 9 11 when they didn't really have movies and books and all that stuff um so it's still very like mysterious and uh Basically, I was just up for the hardest challenge they had. I heard the SEAL teams were hunting drug dealers in South America with SEAL Team 4. I was like, how do I do that? And, um, you know, basically that kind of led me into the military. And then I did uh, six years of the SEAL teams and then got a medical condition that basically didn't allow me to stay in the Navy, transitioned out. Um, and then that's the second half of the story, you know what I mean, from from Navy on. But um Hell Week was was challenging. It was awesome, though. Um, it was really as hard as Hell Week was, and as much as people respected or feared, I think one of the main things that um, I really appreciate with the opportunity to go through the SEAL training and to get to experience something like Hell Week is the fact that uh, traditionally, I feel like men... Um, don't really get the opportunity to truly challenge themselves uh, in a way where they have a rite of passage. And um, in the SEAL teams going through that hell week, 
was like your rite of passage to be a man at the table. When you got to the team, you're still a new guy. You still don't know anything. You know, your job is to shut up and listen, but you had a right to sit at the table. And everyone had respect for the fact that here's the select few who could endure this type of experience and have the right to be here. And you saw that a lot with like a lot of the tribal um, cultures where, you know, maybe they had to climb a mountain and go bring a rock back or do a hunt or whatever it was. But now you went from being a kid to being a man and having the opportunity to sit around the campfire. You know what I mean? And um, with just with the way that the structure of our education system is now where it just keeps stretching guys out into like a like a school program to where they're almost 30 years old and a lot of people are still like just wrapping up and just getting started um i feel like it has a lot of people going well when when am i actually a man when am i actually respected by my peers you know what i mean and where's that definitive line where i've challenged myself so um if there was one thing that i really took away from from the hell week experience was that leaving there and going, you know what, there's nothing that I can't do if if I put my mind to it and um, and whatnot. So, uh, but yeah, if you have like a more specific questions, I'd love to to dive into any of them. Oh yeah, man. Um, I think well, let's start with, um, so what teams did you go into then in the SEAL teams to start with? And what was your role there? Actually, I, I left the Navy SEAL out. I had Marcus Capone on too. So I know you obviously have different roles within the team. So what was your main uh, yeah. uh, field of expertise? That's funny. You had Marcus on. So Marcus and I went through SEAL training together. Him and I went <laughs> through BUDS together. And then him and I served together at SEAL Team 10. That's where I started. I did two deployment cycles with SEAL Team 10. Um Following that that medical complication, I got transferred over to SEAL Delivery Vehicle Team 2. It's a mouthful, but that's like those mini subs. Yep. I don't know if you've ever seen those, like for the, the ones who um, they basically attach on the back of the submarines and they yeah. do the, the um, sneaky squirrel stuff underwater. Uh, so I finished up over at SDV and then um, transitioned out of the military. But... Um, yeah, that's funny. Marcus is an awesome dude. Yeah, and there's he's a good good guy. Explosive breacher, you know, tougher, <laughs> tough mofo. Um, so obviously, kind of, we know Navy SEALs. I mean, I know personally Navy SEALs, and I regard them obviously as like you know the tip of the spear, which obviously they are. Like they are the best in the world. So um, they're renowned for their toughness, and obviously we know the stories of Hell Week. It is, as the name implies, it is hell. <laughs> um, so obviously resilience and the ability to overcome serious mental and physical challenges is vital to become a navy seal and get through all that so um what were some of like your go-to's and practices that kind of got you through hell week and made you a very you know effectively made you a great seal um clearly those practices have also translated to the things you've done at home a 3,000 mile bike ride i mean jesus christ dude i do a 10k runner it's like my fill for the year of cardio so yeah guide me through some of the toughest <laughs> things yeah, I mean, there's a few simple things that I that I found worked for me when I was going through the um, Hell Week in general. Um, you're you're constantly battling your mental dialogue, honestly. So, any excuse will do, and you just need one little reason to convince yourself um, 
that it's not worth it, that you shouldn't do it, that this is stupid. Is this really what you wanted to do? These guys are a bunch of, you know, idiots anyway. Like, why do you want to be here? You know, um, any excuse will do. So, so one of the things is really trying to stay uh, in front of that and not let that negative self-talk uh, grab you. And you have to be very careful of the people that you're listening to because a lot of people, you know, there's a saying, uh, they actually have it carved in one of the logs out there that like when you get in trouble, you have to pick up this big log. One of them is called old misery. And that's when you really screw up. You have this super, super thick log. It's really, really heavy. And on it, it says old misery. And then it has a little like slogan underneath it, like a little quote. It says misery loves company. And when you screw up, you have to bring a couple guys with you and go do stuff with this big log. Um, but a lot of the guys, when they quit, they usually try to get someone to quit with them and they want that justification that the decision they're making is right. And by having someone else come with them, it kind of justifies like, yeah, look, see, I'm not the only one who thinks this way. Um, so you have to be really careful on who you allow to speak into you while you're going through these really stressful times. Um, then the other thing I tried to do was break the day into little chunks. So I know, I mean, there's some times where you miss a meal, but for the most part, you know, the schedule is we're going to do a lot of really hard stuff before breakfast. And then we're going to break for breakfast. And then you're going to do a bunch of really hard stuff. And at some point you're going to eat lunch. You know what I mean? So it's like, there's nothing that they can do between now and breakfast. That's going to make me quit. You know what I mean? There's nothing I just have to make it the next couple hours to breakfast. Then I would have the same thing to lunch. Hey, dude, we're halfway through the day. I'm not going to quit in the afternoon. The day's almost done. You know what I mean? And then you get that same thing for Monday. And then, you know, you just got to get through Monday. You get to Tuesday. Hey, dude, it's Wednesday. The week's halfway over. Thursday, dude, it's downhill from here. Friday, why would I quit on Friday? We're about to have two days break to get all our gear and recover because usually you have Saturday and Sunday off. So breaking it into like that, then you got your one week in, you know what I mean? So trying to take this giant thing of going, how am I supposed to do this for six and a half months straight every single day? And when you break it up, like mentally, that's too much to, to, to handle. So by breaking it into smaller bite size, you know, short goals, uh, for me, it was easier to process. And then the last thing that I did was... All the stuff that was like really, really bad and guys would get like mad and frustrated and stressed out about, I would, as stupid as this sounds, I would imagine myself on a reality TV show and I'd be like, if I was sitting home watching this on a reality TV show, would I be laughing at this? Would this be funny? It's not funny for me right now because I'm in the middle of it and it really sucks. You know what I mean? But if I was watching it, would I be laughing? You know what I mean? And, you know, I just, you know, I'd say to some of the buddies who, when they're getting stressed, I'm like, dude, this is good story value. You know what I mean? Like one day this is going to make for a really good story. It's going to be funny. Like, you know, well, let's not take this too seriously. There's certain things we need to take seriously. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, by, by looking at it in that way, it helped take the, the personal aspect out of it and make it so it's not like dude they're doing this to every single guy who goes through the training every class every year through history 
you it's I don't want to say it's a game, but they have a role to play. Like understand that this isn't a personal attack. It's it's part of the process. You know what I mean? So when guys would take it super personally, like they were being targeted. I mean, there's so if you screw something up, you know, you got to own it. But I mean, generally speaking, there's a lot of like, it doesn't matter what you do. They're going to hammer you. They're going to find something wrong because their job is to find something wrong. You know what I mean? So um, in that mentality of like, uh, and if you're listening and you don't really understand what I'm saying, it's like you're going through this training and and they're looking for ways to add pressure. You know what I mean? And if something as stupid as like, yeah, you had to do a room inspection and make your bed and, you know, clean everything and, and have everything perfect. They'll find, it doesn't matter how perfect the room is. They'll find something in there, whether it's a grain of sand or whatever to hammer you for it and, and trash your room and say your room sucked. And then you got to clean it again. You know what I mean? So it doesn't matter. Um, sometimes you'll get lucky and they won't do that. But, but a lot of times it's not, they're going to, their job is to lay the pressure on you so you can find where that breaking point is. You know what I mean? So, but those are the three big things that I did that helped me, um, you know, navigate the, the physical and mental stress of, of the training. Mm, really strong points there. Um, so yeah, something that I, I was thinking as well from kind of what you've said as well is that obviously the stuff that you're saying is very applicable, obviously like the hell week stuff. And the first thing that you said on the podcast was about, you know, the whole getting through that is like kind of hall pass to going from boy to man, that kind of thing. But, you know, so many people obviously aren't going to be Navy SEALs and so many people aren't going to join the military. Um, so kind of just thinking along the lines of like, how do you do that? in as a civilian so what what would you consider to be like the whole pass for becoming a man because i mean look at look at society look at culture man we are we are we are losing ground as you know as men and that's my opinion like we are just getting weaker yep. and it's a society that's inspiring essentially weakness and the whole acceptance thing for me like i understand it but i just feel like it's just an excuse for so many people too so like in this day and age you know for me sitting here or any other you know young man listening or something what is the equivalent to uh the navy seal hall pass of becoming that man uh that you can do in in just life like what do you have to do so there's there's multiple things to that and that's a great question and that is like the big question like what do how do we do this and the the thing with it is is society has has basically set it up to take that away and in the idea of everyone's a winner and, you know, um, we're taking away adversities, trying to take away challenges for people and make everything so easy and that everything's on an even playing field, it actually hurts the individual. It doesn't help. You know what I mean? Like they think it's helping. Well, maybe they don't, but uh, I don't know what they're thinking. But if the idea was to help, it's not. And if the idea was to make people weak and dependent, it's working. Um, but I think there's a few things to where we have to try to understand where do we build our identity from? What is it as a man that makes me feel like a man? And um, part of that might be, you know, old school mindset thinking is like a man is to provide and protect. And 
part of that is hard when we spend <clears throat> so much time going to school learning education but at the same time we're going into a a, a schooling program that I, I don't know how it works necessarily in the uk but here you'll have a lot of men who come out of college and go man i can't make enough money i'm going to go back to school and get a master's degree so I can get a higher paying job. And then they don't get a job in that. And they're like, dude, I'm going to get a second master's, right? And now they're pushing 30 years old. They're still coming out of school. And all that's happened is at 30 years old, they have hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and they don't have life experience in the workforce yet other than like small, busy jobs just to have some extra money while they're at school. So now you're like talking about like 30, like theoretically you should be married and be starting a family or whatever. But if, if you can't provide for yourself, how are you supposed to provide for your wife or your kids? And it basically puts this on like pause. So it's hard for you to feel confident with, with women. It's hard for you to feel confident about yourself when you know the position you're in, you don't have any respect in the workforce. You got a college degree, but it's not paying the type of money you need and you're not in a position to really take care of you. You see what I'm saying? So like now you're <clears throat> at like 30, like back in, you know, our parents or grandparents time frame, dude, by 20 years old, you were married and you had a couple kids usually, you know what I mean? And now we're, we're looking at doing that at like taking on that responsibility in our late thirties or early forties and it's very hard for us to make that transition. There's no definitive line. And that, which is interesting be, because you mentioned that bike ride where we rode 3000 plus miles. When I was getting out of the military, my buddy, Sean, who I went to high school with, he had basically, I had got medically pushed out of the Navy while he was getting out of the Navy. We'd both done just over six years and I got together with him and I remember we were sitting at like a bar restaurant and, you know, he was just kind of like bummed out. He was just getting ready to go back to school to use. We have this thing called the GI Bill, which you serve in the military. That after so many years, you get money towards going to college. Um, and there's a lot of people who join the U.S. military to get money for college. And we're just sitting there at the bar and he's just like, dude, I just did six years and I don't feel like. Like, I don't feel like really proud of myself. Like, I don't feel like, like a man, like you got, you got to do the seal thing and, you know, people look up to you and you got to challenge yourself and you have this confidence. Like, I just don't feel like I have that confidence. And I'm like, well, what are you thinking, man? You know, I was just like, just asking open-ended questions just to have him talk. And he's like, I just feel like I need to do something to really test myself. Like, I just need to prove to myself that like, that I have what it takes that, I can endure, you know, this or that. And he, and, uh, and he looks at me, he's like, I don't know. I, I just need, like, even if it was something like, if I, if I rode a bike across country, like if I rode a bike across country, would you come with me? And I'm like, yeah, man, let's go ride a bike across country. And he's like, no, dude, come on, man. Don't be joking with me. Like, I'm serious. Like, I got to do something to, to prove to myself, you know, uh, like I got to earn my own respect. And I'm like, dude, riding a bike across country is going to help you springboard. Like I'll go ride a bike with you across country. I don't care. I don't have anything going on. And it was funny because it was my other buddy, James, who was sitting next to me. And I'm like, Hey James, what do you got going on this summer? You want to go ride a bike across country? He's like, if you guys are going, I'll go. Sure. You know? So I'm like, all right, Sean. So it's in. 
we're gonna go ride a bike across country. And and um, he's he's like, you know, he thought we were like being sarcastic. And and then I just said to him, I was like, well, if you want to make this bigger than yourself, and you want to add value to it, so it's not something selfish, let's do it as a fundraiser. Let's raise money, and let's go impact some people while you do this so now not only are you going to ride across country but now you have purpose like we need to put purpose behind the action you know what i mean we need to have accountability behind the action you need to have someone who's going to uh be relying on you to win you know what i mean and um and for for us that's that's what we did and uh it was a huge milestone for for Sean, it was a huge milestone for for James and I as well. Now I'm not saying riding your bike across the country is the trick, right? But there's there's something to be said coming off of that. He basically had like a mental shift, and since then he's become really successful in business, and uh, he's got an awesome real estate company. He's he's married. He's got a couple kids. He's just he's kicking butt out and. Um, in the Seattle area, you know, um, and again, it's not the bike ride. It's not about the bike ride. It's about building that, that confidence in yourself that if I put my mind to something, I can achieve it. Right. And it needs to be physically demanding, mentally demanding, have responsibility and accountability. Um, and at the end, if someone else benefits from your actions other than yourself, you know, that's a huge aspect of it. And that's one of the things that's missing for a lot of us um, when we're when we're doing everything for ourselves, right? Because it supports like a narcissistic kind of um, selfish mentality. Now, if you're in the military or you're um, a first responder or something like that, like a lot of times in the military, our actions, if I screw up, someone else gets hurt. It's usually not me. You know what I mean? So there's this responsibility put on you that it's about the people around you. Um, but in a corporate workforce, like you don't really encounter that all that often. So in this case, you know, if people aren't having children or families earlier on, everything you're doing, even when you're going to work and making money, it's all self-serving. It's not, you're not having accountability and responsibility for other people. Um, you know what I mean? So that's why in this case, I was saying to him, we should do something like a fundraiser so we can have that accountability and serve someone other than ourselves by doing it. Really, really good advice there, mate. I, I totally agree with you 100%. And um, yeah, that's interesting. So I think, yeah, like you said, find something that's so challenging that you're going to have to dig in and find something inside of you that's going to take you to that that gray area that goes beyond what you're kind of capable of physically. And then it goes into like, right, mental rock solid toughness and stuff. So I agree. I, th I think that's a really good way of, of finding something like that. And if you can attach it to something like a charity or something charitable, it makes great sense. Um, but so what I'm thinking now is that obviously that's how you kind of earn that like you said you earn that respect for yourself right and it's funny because i'm wearing my uh wearing my luminox watch right now i realized that about 20 seconds ago it's the navy seal one that's you know only these days yesterday so that that's a cool little uh 
thing that's just come up in my head but you know in the series i've i've heard you guys you know correct me if i'm wrong i've heard you guys talking a lot about kind of earning the trident and earning that trident daily so if you're someone who has gone and done a 3000 mile bike ride or some marathon or some you know iron man or I, I don't know whatever that challenge is once you've earned that respect how do you keep it i mean you have to earn it again daily i think they say in the series you have to earn the trident daily so you know attacking kind of maintaining that manliness and that manhood that you get from achieving something like that or accomplishing it how do you then go about maintaining that on a daily basis yeah it's a great question so i earned my trident back in 2001 right over 20 years ago now so when you're when we're talking about me getting the trident it's like dude that was 20 years ago you know what are you doing now cool cool story dude you know what's your current credibility if you don't have current credibility you're the dude who's at the bar talking about all the shit you did back in high school telling all the the glory days the greatest days of my life were back in high school when i was on the football team or playing um some sport or in a band or whatever it was what are you doing now you know what i mean like so when they say earn your trident every day it's not something that you just do once and cool we're done and we just hang it up if you want to be successful at anything or if you want to continue to develop as as an individual or as a man then you need to continuously be hungry and to be striving to continue to better yourself, right? And to continue to build yourself. Now, some things come in phases. You know what I mean? Like at 42 years old, I'm probably not gonna be in the same exact physical shape as I was when I was 18 or 19 or in my early 20s. You know, I have a lot more injuries and stuff like that at this point, but I there's other things that I've gained along the way, right, that I can, lean on and I still stay fit and I still keep that as a as a focus and and a personal priority for my health and all that kind of stuff but at the same time I just don't let myself go and ride on the fact of old credibility or things that I used to do right so my greatest story should be in my future not in my past kind of thing you know what I mean yeah and and yeah. for to just weigh on the past, then um, then people become, they're interested at first, but then they quickly realize there's nothing else here. This is just a uh, surface level. This is, this is, there's nothing more that's gonna be attained, right? There's no more desire. There's no more passion, right? We're just living in the rear view mirror and uh, people don't wanna follow people who are constantly looking in the mirror. People want, to follow uh, those who have vision, right? And are forward thinking, you mm. know what I mean? Yeah, really good points there. Um, absolutely agree with you 100%. And so, you know, it, it gets me thinking as well then. So on the other side of that spectrum, so we're talking about people who do actually achieve that thing, they gain that self-respect and then they, uh, they go on and then they start earning that Trident daily. But what about the people who set that challenge and then they fail. What did they do? How do they get to the point where they can then improve and get to the point where they can achieve that challenge? And actually, here's a question that, that I've always wanted to know the answer to. I never really thought of before. In the movies and in the shows and all these 
documentaries where you see the SEAL teams and you see the people going through hell week. There's the bell. You go and ring the bell. What happens to the people then who go and ring that bell? Like it's you, they, the shows follow the people going through selection and stuff, but where do the people who then ring that bell, where do they go? Do they have a good story? Do they come back and, and try again? Like what, what the people who fail at that ultimate challenge, what do they do and how can they start improving? So there's, I mean, what do they do? That depends on the individual. Um, but I will give you a, I'll tell you what they do and then I'll give you a good story that I learned, a good lesson I learned from sniper school. So the technically what happens or traditionally what happens is when you quit, you're ring the bell and now you get shift over to a different, you're in limbo. You're just waiting to get orders from the Navy. Um, previously, like when I went through, I went through boot camp, like Navy boot camp. Then I went down and I went to a school. My job was aviational ordinance. So I went to Pensacola, Florida, learned how to be the dude who loads bombs on planes and puts the munitions and all that stuff, rockets and whatever on planes and helicopters. And that that's the job I would have done. I would have been stationed on an aircraft carrier. But then I got my orders to go try out for the SEALs. I made it. So I went to the SEAL teams and never did that job again. Had I gotten hurt or quit or whatever, I would have got sent back to the fleet and went and continued on in the Navy as an aviational ordinanceman. Um, now it's a little bit different. Since then, they've made the SEALs its own rating. So the SEAL operator at SO is now actually a technical job where before it was a specialty thing. Now it's an actual recognized job by the Navy. So if you don't make it through the SEAL training now, you go to the fleet undesignated, which means the Navy just goes, where do we need someone? Over there? Cool. Hey, you, you're going over there. So you have no idea really what the job is you're going to get. Um, the, the Navy's just going to put you at their discretion where they need you. Um, with that being said, there's guys who have gone through the training, have quit or got hurt, went back to the fleet, and then put in a package to come back like two years later. Like you have to go back to the fleet for like two years, I believe, before you get another chance to come try out again. And to come try out again, you need to have pretty good scores and a good rapport and a good record with the instructors. They basically take a vote on who gets to come back. And um, and if you were kind of a turd the whole time you're going through buds and you quit, you know, um, they might probably won't let you back. If it was one of those things where, you know, you were doing really good, everything was going awesome, you hit one event and it totally caught you by surprise and you just couldn't handle it and you quit. They, but everything else is, and everyone's like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. They may let you come back in two years. Um, so the, the thing I learned in sniper school, which is really important because there are guys who have come back and made it and come back and become uh, amazing, amazing uh, operators. One of the guys, um, Bill Brown, who uh, is a friend of mine, and he started, I don't know if you ever saw the videos of all those Navy SEALs swimming across the lake 
or not to cross the lake, across the harbor in New York City, and they swim out to the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. So my buddy Shannon and I, we started a charity event where we were doing a 14-mile swim relay in North Carolina. Bill came down and joined us for that. And uh, after, like I think on the third year of us doing that, raising money for veteran suicide prevention. And Bill came down and he joined us and he went back and was like, dude, I'm going to do this in the Hudson. I'm going to have a swim across the thing. So he basically, um, he didn't copy our event. It's a totally different event, but he came down. He's like, dude, I would love to do something like this up in New Jersey and New York because that's where he's from. But that guy who set that up, he went to Bud's. He quit, right? So he went from being the dude who dropped out, went back to the fleet for a few years, came back, and then he got like honor man. He graduated first in his class when he went through buds again. Cool. So you can go back and 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 turn the tide. You know what I mean? Um, and the thing that I learned in sniper school was one of the instructors said to me, he's like, Rich, you can't hit every single shot. It's impossible. At some point, you're going to miss. And at that point in time, I'd already missed. So it's not like I hadn't missed yet. But he was just figuratively speaking, like you, you can't make every single shot. When the shot goes, you have to let it go. Don't hold on to it. Don't let it be emotional. Don't, you know, have baggage attached to that round. It, but it, that round tells a story. So the problem isn't that you missed. The problem lies in when you miss and you don't understand why you missed. If you understand why you missed, then you can make the corrections for a second shot hit. When you don't understand why you missed, then you get frustrated and you just start doing stuff to do stuff. And you just start sending more rounds down range and you have no idea what they're doing or, or where they're going. Right. And you're just doing it emotionally out of frustration where those who pay attention and those who actually understand what they're doing. Right. When we fall short, when we screw something up, if we can look at it, analyze it, and not take offense to it, not be emotionally attached to it, but look at it and just own it and go, hey, look, I did this, this, and this, and that's the result I got. I'm going to change my strategy. I see why, and I, under I see what happened. I understand why. So now if I do this, this, and this on the next go around, it should correct the problem. You know what I mean? So those who are willing to make those corrections and take responsibility for their actions. You know what I mean? They can turn the, the tide around and they can, they can still succeed even through failure. It's those who harbor it, avoid it, try to blame others for it, um, don't accept it. You know what I mean? They'll find themselves in a vicious cycle of this repeating over and over again, just in different areas of their life because they're sabotaging themselves. Yeah, so true. Absolutely, 100%. Um... I agree. It's one of those things. Events like that, they either tear you up or they, uh, sorry, they either tear you down or they build you up. You can, it's, it's a choice and it all comes down to that, that mentality. In some ways, you know, if, if maybe you just weren't ready at that time, you had to go through that failure to then get to the next level so that you can then succeed. But I think, uh, I think you got it all there. You, you, you touched on all the points. I think there's some really good advice and all of that. Um, one thing I do want to ask though, is that interesting that you got to spend time over in Pensacola. Um, I imagine you had a few blue angels flying over you all the time there. And I'm thinking of heading over there, uh, in May, hopefully, uh, to do a lot of project with them. So all I have to ask you then is uh, Naval Air Station Pensacola. Um, how do I dress? Is the weather good? <laughs> Yeah, in May it should be warm. It's it's really nice. You're in the Gulf. Um, surprisingly, 
the the winter time get, get, it does get kind of chilly there in the winter um which i i was there in in december and january time frame and i thought like the only time i had been to florida was like down by Boca Raton, which is down by like Miami. Yeah, I've been there. So I'm coming there thinking like, all right, dude, you know, shorts and t-shirts. And I get there and the weather every day is like in the 40s and 50s, but it's really like humid. So it's just like wet and cold, kind of like how it is over where you are. And it totally caught me by surprise. And I was like, dude, this is bullshit. I thought this was supposed to be Florida. <laughs> like, but um, but May is actually a great time to be there um it's not super hot yet you know it'll probably be well in comparison to where you're coming from it's going to be hot but but not like blistering hot so may is a great time of year to be there probably like 80s 70s and 80s glad to hear it man that's uh that's music to my ears and uh you know winter time over here in the uk yeah well i could do a bit of sun right now my man but anyway so back on back on track then um so Telling us a little bit about then, so obviously, like you mentioned, um, you got pushed out of the team due to medical reasons. So um, how did your kind of career progress from there? You know, what happened and uh, was it a tough transition out? And uh, how did you kind of get into the whole teaching thing and, and the charity work you're doing now? Then um, towards the end, we'll touch on to, to what that is exactly. Yeah, so the transition out was <clears throat> basically caught me by surprise. I wasn't planning on getting out um the the medical condition happened while i was on deployment and then uh it was something that wasn't able to be fixed so basically i got pushed out of the out of the seal teams and at that point i really didn't know what i was going to do next <clears throat> and that's where i was in that limbo stage where my buddy sean wanted to do that bike ride so we we took the time um and and did that ride across country from San Diego to Virginia Beach. And that kind of gave me some time to kind of think on, on what I wanted to do next and, and all of that. It, it was a good, a good experience for me to kind of get my, my head reset. Um, and as much as it was for, for Sean. And when I got back, I was just like, I don't really know. I was considering trying to possibly go into law enforcement of some type, or I didn't know if I was going to try to go back and revisit that whole architecture thing that I was going to do before that I was being groomed for in high school. Um, so I just got a job as a personal trainer at a gym and went through some of the, the personal trainer programs and, uh, and was just working at a gym and a and a martial. I was training a lot of Thai boxing again, um, and there was a few guys who were at the Thai boxing gym who were uh, going through like a a police sniper school, and one of the guys was one of the instructors there, and he invited me to come out and just check out what they were doing at the school and see if I wanted to give them some tips or just to come hang out. So I came and joined them. And I was pretty quiet. I was, wasn't really trying to chime in much. They asked me my opinion on a few things. I gave a few suggestions and they liked the suggestions. They asked me if I wanted to come out and run a pistol class for them. Um, and this wound up turning into a really big event. They wound up bringing in police officers from like multiple states, both local and federal officers. So I had a group of like 35 um, various officers in this class and I ran it and it went really well. 
And then that just kind of turned into them asking me to come train another group and then another group. And at the time I was still personal training and then I got into some sales and stuff like that, just trying to figure out what I was going to do. And uh, the training kept coming fun at the time. I was just doing it because I enjoyed being on the range. I enjoyed helping the guys. And then after a few years of trying to start a couple small businesses and working in, working in some sales for some sports nutrition lines and stuff like that, that kind of went hand in hand with the personal training. Uh, I was just like, dude, if I just treated the shooting schools that I'm doing like a real business, uh, you know, I could probably be pretty successful with this and I enjoy doing it. And the guys keep bringing me back out, you know, uh, they like the way that I taught. They're like, you know, you have a very simple way of teaching this stuff and the guys retain the information. The guys are getting really good results. So word was spreading and I just kept on getting called to do more work. So right around 2016 or 2014 to 16 timeframe, I forget ex which year it was exactly. Uh, I kind of just made that switch and I just said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of put personal training on the side. I'm going to put that sales stuff on the side. I'm just going to focus really on the firearms training uh, side of the house. And I've been doing that full time since. Um, and that's, that's taken me to a lot of different countries, um, working with a lot of different agencies. I've spent like 12 years uh, working in uh, Brazil and Central and South America, helping law enforcement battle like the cartel stuff and, you know, improve their tactics and techniques. And so I've spent a lot of time down there um, done some work in the in the islands and Haiti and stuff like that, um, but uh, but yeah, so it's just been kind of the the ride I've been on since since I got out. Wicked stuff, man. No, it's it's really good to see. And uh, we're we're clearly going quite long with this one, so um, we'll, we'll tap into the charity in just a moment. But what I want to just quickly uh, get into is um, so obviously you look at your Instagram handle, you look at the website and stuff, and it's all you know full spectrum warrior. Just wondering if you could kind of give us a quick just what is that exactly? So what's the idea behind that? Where'd you get the name from, and what does it mean essentially? You know, is there a story behind it? So what's what's full spectrum warrior? Yeah, so full spectrum where is basically the my training philosophy. And when I was doing the uh, the original company, uh, like I said, I was personal training at first. So my company originally was Trident Fitness. Then we started doing a lot of fitness and firearm stuff because the police started bringing us out. And the police were like, hey, dude, we can't be writing on the invoices Trident Fitness and pass it up the line. Like it needs to have something else to it so we can tie it so it makes sense when we do our invoices. So I was like, all right. Trident Fitness Tactical. And they're like, okay, cool, that works. So the company was Trident Fitness Tactical or TriTac for a while. And um, but this but the but the slogan was or the the mindset behind it was building you as a full spectrum warrior. And I later on I found out that was a video game. I had no idea there was a video game because I don't play games. Um <laughs> later on when I was going for like trademarks and stuff like that, I found out there's a video, I'm like, dude, there's a video game. And then, um, you know, so it has nothing to do with that. I didn't realize that was there, but essentially what it is, is a lot of guys were coming to me. They want to be hardcore, you know, uh, top level Navy SEAL shooters and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, I get it. We all want to be at the final stage, you know, on day one, but we have to, kind of reverse engineer this a little bit. If you want to be a really good shooter and you want to be able to protect your home 
uh, be an assaulter or whatever, like you want to be good with the gun, right? Well, first you have to have like a warrior mentality and you have to be a, a good fighter in general. And there's a lot of, when I was working with these police officers, there was a lot of guys who, you know, couldn't get on the ground and stand back up, keeping both hands on the weapon or whatever uh, with all their gear on. And they had bad knees, they had bad backs, you know, some of them were just not in shape at all. And I'm like, dude, you're not, you're not in a position to be a war fighter, right? You're not in a position to take on these bad guys, these criminals, right? Like you need to work on the foundation. You know what I mean? You guys, you guys are bringing me here to teach you how to shoot, which is cool. And I can do that, but you got to get the rest of this, like the bigger picture needs to be, you know, uh, fine tuned a little bit. So if you want to be a good shooter, like a tactical shooter, right, then you need to be a fighter first. The gun is an extension. The gun is an accessory to you as an individual. So can you fight? And then, okay, well, you're out of shape. You're not strong. Can you, how effective can you fight if you're not athletic, if you're not fit? How fit can you be if your diet sucks and your life choices suck, right? Why do you, your diet and your life choices suck? They suck because you have bad decision-making process. You have bad priorities. Like you're not taking certain things seriously. Why aren't you taking those things seriously? Because you're not owning your your choices. You're not taking responsibility. You know what I mean? And now we start reverse engineering this and we put together this process of, of laying out the information. I'm actually, I'm in the final stages of a book I'm writing called The Full Spectrum Warrior Lifestyle, which kind of like outlines all this. It's a personal growth book and it's like a self-reflection book. Um, but basically the Full Spectrum Warrior is just looking at how do we build ourselves um, in the most important areas of our lives to help us be the most effective. And it's really comes down to our mindset, our decision-making process, how we, our outlook on things. And then the physical stuff is a byproduct of what we're thinking. You know what I mean? So that's kind of um, like a, like a quick overall down and dirty of, of what the full spectrum warrior kind of means uh, to me. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, that is the culture that we're in, isn't it? We want the accolade and we want that title, but we don't want to put in the work. It's like in my, in my days of professional tennis, uh, I remember a good bit of advice that came from a, a, a fantastic coach who worked with top professional athletes, you know, the best in the world tennis players. And they said that these guys, they would get to a certain level and, and in tennis, we have tournament levels. So obviously it gets in a harder 25 K 50 K hundred K. Then you get to, into the grand slams and eventually you get to, Wimbledon and US Open and stuff and they he said you know some of these players like Andy Murray who's you know our guy from the UK he um, would go to these tournaments sometimes and he would you know skip a level in a, in a way so he'd go from one level and then he'd miss like a level of a tournament he'd go to something a bit too much almost and he might even do well in that tournament but the the, the important thing is that they would always go back and they wouldn't skip levels in it. So they would go back and they would go to that stage because it's, it's vital to go through those stages for the overall growth. So you know, if you start skipping levels and you go too far ahead, even if you you get lucky or you or you find some success in it, you're eventually going to hit that roadblock. It's so important to go up that ladder going through those levels and get into that stage where you are then 
you know accomplishing it because everyone would do it if they could i mean ex navy seal it's a great title it 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 commands respect and everyone would want that title but it wouldn't be special if you didn't have to go through that process and that hell week and that lifestyle to get there that's why it's so it commands so much respect it's a bit like the whole you know i spoke about this a, a bit recently with a, a, another guy but like art you, you look at the artwork made in the old days by these professional painters and the legends they're worth so much because it's so creative and it's just it's an impression from someone's brain and vision and talent now you have like the whole ai thing ai generated stuff and it just depletes that that value on what it is right so you've got to have those levels and those stages and going through all of that to get to the thing because it is so valuable because you have to do that to make it work right yeah for sure and then and even to just expand on your thought because uh, i totally agree with what you're saying to expand on your thought even if we're looking at that tennis player um what is it we all see on tv or from the stands what they're doing on the tennis court but to compete at that level there's a whole bunch of things those professional athletes are having to do off the court right to make it so that they can even walk on the court in the first place you know what i mean and that's the that's where the details come into well what are what are all the other nuance um and that really goes back into the what we opened up the conversation with about polishing or earning your trident every day what are you doing every day? What are the little things that you're doing every day to make it to where that that you get to to keep that or you know um and that's just to maintain or to continue to grow and then they're obviously to get to the point where you get the trident to begin with, right? To get to the point where you're playing in the US Open to begin with, there's a whole other animal, including the whole learning the skill, right? But there's a lifestyle that supports that. You know what I mean? And a lot of people, they don't want to practice the lifestyle to support it. They just want the end result. <clears throat> and they can put the stuff on social media to look like they um, they have the lifestyle by picking and choosing what they tend, what they choose to share, right? But you'll know by the fruits of their labor, you'll know by their character if they're actually authentic or if they're just putting on a facade to public perception to be popular absolutely man yeah couldn't have said it better myself and um right well quickly last thing i want to just cover quickly then is um tell me about home front canine so you know us guys we we look at nice pictures of cute dogs and stuff and we think you know man's best friend super cute and everything but obviously some of these pups man they are killing freaking machines so just tell us a little bit about the mission there and how that all kind of came about and stuff yeah for sure so we were doing the charity stuff, uh, like we mentioned, we've been doing some things with uh, different organizations for veteran suicide prevention. <clears throat> and then I was doing, in addition to the firearms work, I've been doing a lot of uh, dog work since I've been out of the military. And for a few years there, um, I was doing quite a bit of that. It was probably almost, probably 40% of what I was doing was dog work and the other 60 was the, the firearm stuff. And um, <clears throat> through that process, we had started uh, realizing like, hey, you know, these service dogs really help guys with, you know, PTSD and, and guys who are coming out of the military and, um, you know, have 
trouble communicating and and but the dog tends to open up this area of vulnerability or guys will show affection and love to this to this animal in a unique way that they might not do uh, with other people. So for the to kind of make a long story short, through Home Phone Canine, what we started to do was uh, train up service dogs and family home protection dogs for active duty uh, special forces families. Um, one of the things that we would do is we we come in and we train with the the individual alongside of his family. And when these guys are coming back from all these deployment cycles and we're doing the dog training, <clears throat> it's very hard to BS your way through your ability to communicate when you're working with the dog. The, I can look at a dog and and many times know what's happening in the dynamic of the home, right? Overall, generally speaking, based on the things that the dog are doing or the issues that someone reports to me that the dog are doing. You know what I mean? So if you have a dog that never was chewing on furniture or pillows or all that kind of stuff, right? And then all of a sudden the dog's been good and now it's starting to like tear up the furniture and, and do these behaviors that you don't like. It's like, well, what's your communication with your wife? Oh, uh, no, it's good. It's, you know, so you guys aren't fighting or whatever. And well, maybe a little bit. So maybe a husband and wife are arguing and the dog is seeing this and the dog doesn't know how to handle the stress of the two people that, it, that are his owners fighting. And so it starts lashing out and doing things like tearing apart stuff in the house or whatever. Very similar to what they might see happening with their teenage kids, dyeing their hair, getting piercings, changing the music that they listen to, um, you know, doing different behaviors that are that are basically like, um, you know, a cry for help kind of behaviors. Um, you'll see it with the dog. But in a way, we can now work with the family and just be like, hey, when you guys do this, this and this, this is how the dog reacts. And when you communicate in this way, the dog will react this way. When you communicate this way, the dog will react this way. And basically, we can help people start to rebuild the communication within the home um, We have uh, without them taking offense to it. You know what I mean? Like, if you try to do that with a psychologist sitting on a couch, be like, dude, you don't know me. You don't know the experiences I've been through. How are you going to tell me, you know, what it's like to be a Navy SEAL or some special operator? You haven't seen what I've seen. Um, and with the dogs, it's just like, it's like a neutral playing field because it's like, okay, I don't, I don't know what you've been through, but I know what the dog does in relation to what it sees. And the, so if we want to focus here on the dog, we need to fix this, this, and this in the home. And you'll see the dog change how it's behaving. You know what I mean? And, uh, also it gives us an opportunity to put something in the hands of, of the operator that will love him unconditionally, even when, and if you're a dog owner, you've probably experienced this where you've done something that, you know, uh, there's a, there's a, there's an old joke. Sorry if I'm going so long, but there was a, there was an old joke <laughs> in, the, in the dog training world where it was like, what's the difference between the, your dog and your wife? And you're like, I don't know. What's the difference? 
if you lock your wife in the trunk of your car and you let her open, she's going to come out screaming and trying to kill you. If you lock your dog in the trunk and you open up the trunk, it comes out and it's like, oh my God, I love you. Thank you for letting me out. You saved my life. You know what I mean? And um, I'm not suggesting you lock either of those in your trunk to test it out. It's just <laughs> the theory. You know what I mean? But with that being said, the the dog gives us unconditional love even when we do certain things or we have shortcomings or there's times where we don't deserve the love that the dog unconditionally gives us, right? And when the time is right and when the opportunity presents itself, one of the things that we have with the parallel is for the conversation of the spiritual side of the house, the spiritual healing that just like the dog loves us unconditionally, even though we don't deserve it, so does Christ love us unconditionally, even when we think that we don't deserve him, we don't deserve his love, right? It's still there for us. And it's, again, one of these um, parallels that we can make uh, with the appropriate people and the appropriate timing um, to basically share that other side of the house, too. Um, so we're not just helping people with a pet or a service animal we're helping them with spiritually we're trying to help rebuild and uh restore their families in their in their in a spiritual sense awesome stuff rich and uh hey i've got i've got like the best little plug for you ever then so about uh where are we at now we're at 526 so yeah about an hour and a little bit ago i had craig harrison on the show um, and he, you may have heard of him through your, your sniper training and stuff, but he was the world record holder for the longest sniper kill for, I think it was four years until 2017. Then it was beat. And he, he was giving yeah. us his story and he, um, you know, he suffered horribly with, with PTSD and, uh, and, you know, had a variety of issues and then death threats and a lot of it. But he actually said that when he got his dog that found, you know, that helped him find something within him, which was you know beautiful to hear and and he said it, it made a massive massive difference so i mean yeah long story short about an hour an hour ago got the best testimonial feed for that uh for the listeners yeah. so yeah no, go, I, go learned, I learned so much about myself working with the dogs and working with the dogs there's a lot of things that i learned about myself that i was like dude i am ugly i am a piece of shit you know what i mean like Things would come out of me. I'd get frustrated. I'd get mad at the dog doing dumb stuff or doing something that I didn't want it to do, destroying something. And it it brought out a really ugly side of me and exposed it. And it was one of those things where it's like, I can go hide from this and, and pretend like it's not there or I can handle it. You know what I mean? And, um, and then it brought out a lot of really good things about my personality and, and it showed me good things as well. Uh, so there's a lot of lessons that just having the responsibility and having that relationship with the dog, um, like I was saying, you can't, you can't fake it. You can, you can only fake it for so long, you know what I mean? And, um, and it's a, it's a really humbling and, and honest experience. Uh, and, uh, and that's why we kind of chose to, um, to, to work with them and to, to support these families. And we've been doing it now for I don't know, coming up on probably close to 10 years. Um, and uh, we've impacted a bunch of families and, and um, they've had a really good results with the families that they've gone to. 
That's amazing. I'm so glad to hear that, man, for sure. Um, I think that's a great place to uh, to add in a little shameless plug then. So obviously that's the four questions done for today. Um, shameless plug time. So Rich, uh, feel, free to, feel free to, in fact, not free, <laughs> feel free to take a minute and just promote the charity, the foundation, social media, the website. If anyone wants to go learn how to shoot and stuff. Um, yeah, just you know, have your shameless yep. plug minute and uh, send my people where you want. Cool. So since we're on the topic of the, the dog charity, the, the website is Homefront Canine Project. Um, just the words, uh, K, the letter K9. So the, the website's homefrontk9.org. And then that charity, I make, I make my money doing the, the firearms training and all the tactical training and the other guys who are on the board of director, uh, they have their own businesses and all that kind of stuff. So the charity, we don't make a salary off the charity. The charity is not our business, right? The charity is just a charity, right? So when you support that, you're supporting the families. You're not supporting my, my personal income. Um, we just volunteer our time for that because we believe in the mission. The website for our tactical training is fullspectrumwarriors.com. And um, we run some open group classes we do a lot of private training experience as well so if you ever want to come out here learn to shoot we have a, a private ranch out in the middle of the ocala national forest here in florida with over 100 acres the cabin on site we have all the stuff you can just come show up stay on the property do an immense training or immersion you know um in the whatever the topic is you want to do whether it's precision rifle or you know home protection or just the fundamentals or the basics you know, you let us know, we can build a uh, customizable training program specifically for your needs. Wow, that is insane. Sounds so cool. And um, yeah, I, I love my little trips over to the States. So maybe one day we'll get to meet up and you can uh, show me how to shoot because tell you what, man, there ain't much to do out here in the UK. It's, it's tough to get your hands on anything and I'd, I'd love to learn. But yeah, Rich, thank you so much for joining me today for the Talk 4 podcast, especially on New Year's Eve. So I um, just want to say absolute pleasure to have had you on and uh, and Happy New Year, man, and to the family. Yeah, Happy New Year. Thank you. I appreciate the time to have me on. Awesome. And thank you guys for listening. This has been episode 97. And if you'd like to listen to the past episodes, go and have a look at our channel. And if you'd like to listen in for the future ones too, make sure to hit that subscribe button and spread some love by leaving a like and a comment. Signing off for now, fights on and see you next time. Good night. <laughs>